0: Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin
1: direct via satellite from our On the Spot Task Force. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money nerds. A most happy National Running Day to you. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and to celebrate, I'm gonna buy some new running shoes and also introduce you to some amazing guests. Check this out. On today's show, Authors of the Financial Diaries, Jonathan Morduck and Rachel Schneider. Also, with the latest social media investing buzz from the Buzz Indexes, Jamie Wise. Then, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky caller, and I'll provide some mind-bending trivia. Here they are, two guys who always make people run for the exits, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G.
0: Why do we keep that guy around?
2: I don't know. He's uh, a fun sponge.
0: <laughs> with with friends like him who needs enemies, right? Hey, everybody. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And welcome back to Wednesday. And, man, do we got an action-packed lineup for you today. We've got the author's OG of this amazing study. Imagine writing down your expenses and how you made money for an entire 12 months. No,
2: no, no. Mm -mm.
0: You thought I was going to say an entire 12 minutes and you
1: were already Uh, saying no.
2: Yeah, I was already, I was already out at 12 (laughs) minutes, 12 months. I do keep track of it a little bit, big picture stuff, but I do not need anybody to add up the number of margaritas I've had in my life. I
0: was reading through this book, the financial diaries, and it's fascinating some of the things that we see going on in America and sometimes, obviously, very much a struggle. We're going to talk to them about how people overcome those struggles on today's show. But you know what else we're going to do, OG? We're going to tell people how to save 450 bucks. How about that?
2: I'm all about 450 bucks. How are we going to do that today?
0: Well, I'll tell you, the average person who goes to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, that's how they do it. And the reason is, is that's the place you go when you're checking out a better savings account, maybe better CD rates. Maybe you're looking for a car loan, probably want to pay cash for that car if possible. But if you can't and you need some wheels, why just use the financing arm? I learned this, Nick Clements from Magnify Money. If you go to our Facebook page, he was on last Thursday with us on our SB Live Thursday chat. By the way, those are Thursdays at noon on our Facebook channel. But what's funny is he said... You know, these car dealers, OG, they make so much money off of the car loan that you want to go into a car dealer. If you need a loan, go into a car dealer with another option, like have your financing already in hand,
2: already done, make
0: make your best price and then still work with the financing person. And they will almost always beat the rate that you got from the outside place because they'd rather make a little money to make. They make so much money off of it. It was fascinating. I had never thought about that. And you know why? Because I didn't spend enough time at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. I shouldn't laugh when I say that. It just the transitions get worse and worse. Man, we've got a great show. Financial Diaries talking that today. We've got some great listener questions throwing out the Haven Lifeline to another lucky caller. But first, let's dig into some headlines.
3: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines.
0: Our first headline comes to us from NAPA-NET, the National Association of Plan Advisors, those people that manage 401ks and uh, retirement plans. This is interesting. It says, can HSAs lead to healthier behaviors? You ever think about this? It says, among a number of positive aspects of health savings accounts, new research finds another. More precisely, a recent report from the nonpartisan Employee Benefit Research Institute found that adults who were in a consumer-driven health plan or high-deductible health plan were more likely than those in a traditional health plan to exhibit a number of cost-conscious behaviors. It seems that when we have some serious skin in the game, our own money versus insurance, which we perceive to be somebody else's money, even though it really is your money, we live a healthier lifestyle to save our money.
2: Well, that's. True. I think that that probably could be true for just about anything. We talk a lot about uh, saving money with auto insurance and home insurance, right? Kind of a quick, easy change the deductible thing. But if you change the deductible on your car insurance or on your home insurance, you're more likely to keep up with the upkeep. Because the downside of that is it's a thousand dollars now <laughs> instead of five hundred. So you go, well, no, I need to get the AC looked at, or I need to make sure the car is maintained well and drive. Appropriately, I, I I bet that there's a study for that too.
0: Well, and obviously, so, so
2: if I put money in the game, I'm going to take care of my stuff. Got it? Yeah, Smart. we
0: we want to be we want to be cost conscious, but I'll tell you, we talked on Monday about a company that uh, historically has done some financial plans for free, and about how that might not be a good idea. And I remember one of the best things one of my mentors telling me about why why it's good. To have people pay for a financial plan. Not just because of the fact that I was getting, that's how, that, that's how I got paid. <laughs> I can think
2: of one reason. That's right. Uh, so keeps, I can eat. It keeps mama happy. That's right.
0: But the other reason was when your client has skin in the game, they were much more likely to act on the advice and acting on advice, even if it's only 90% right or 95% right, far better than doing nothing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, That's a great way to think about it. This seems like a blinding flash of the obvious statement, right? Where if you've got skin in the game, you're going to try to...
0: I just had never thought about it with HSAs. I'd never once thought, wow, people might be healthier with HSAs. Not. Yeah. The 2016 EBRI Greenwald & Associates Consumer Engagement and Healthcare Survey shows a little bit about the theory behind CDHPs and HDHPs and that their cost-sharing structure is a tool that will be more likely to engage individuals in their healthcare compared with people enrolled in more traditional coverage. Among individuals enrolled in CDHPs, 56% open an HSA. It was more common for employers to contribute to an HSA in 2016 than the past dollar amount increase. I think there's a drum roll in America for people to tell their employer that they want money put into their health savings account.
2: Pretty common these days, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think it's just going to become more common. I mean, this is, yeah, yeah, more about that. As for the healthy behaviors... Among privately insured adults 21 to 64 who received healthcare in the past 12 months, those in a CDHP were more likely than those with traditional coverage to have said they check whether their plan would cover care, asked for a generic drug instead of a brand name, talked to their doctor about prescription options and costs, asked a doctor to recommend less costly prescriptions, talked to their doctor about other treatment options and costs. Well, it, it, it and I guess this doesn't prove your point then, OG, because people that um have pre existing conditions and they know that it's gonna be expensive, they're they're gonna ask these questions
2: too. They're trying to uh they're trying to find the, the lower cost option because they got the skin in the game, I guess. Yeah. Back to your original
0: point. Yeah, good good stuff there. And we'll link to this article and the study in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. And in our second headline, let's see what's happening in the social media universe our social media correspondent from the Buzz Index. Jamie Wise joins us. Welcome back, man. Hey, great to be back, Joe. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic. What's going
4: on in the social media world? Well, the chatter continues, absolutely, especially as we went through a busy earnings season, as they all seem to be somehow. But, but really notably this year, or this quarter, I should say, we had some stocks that made some real significant moves off their earnings. Well, congratulations also last month on beating the S&P. That's a big, nice thing. Hey, always uh, like to see the performance supporting the process, and that's that's exactly what we saw last month in May.
0: Let's talk about some of the buzz that you're hearing. Uh, maybe a, a stock on the positive
4: side people are buzzing about. Palo Alto. Palo Alto is one of those stocks where, man, are they talking about it a lot, you know, ever since the disastrous second quarter that they posted back in, I guess it was early March where the stock fell 25%. And, you know, the analyst community just turned super bearish on this thing. You had, you know, 25% of analysts downgrading their outlook on the stock following the earnings. It just had, you know, huge negative media coverage, all of the so-called experts were really piling on against the story saying, you know, don't expect too much from this company going forward. No one really saw it as an opportunity from the expert perspective. But wow, did we see different reaction online when the stock took a beating? People really stayed confident and believed that it wasn't a long term structural issue with the company. And maybe it was a little more shorter term than some of the experts were predicting. People that don't know Palo Alto, what do they do? They're a network service uh, security provider, um, so you know you, you can imagine that demand for their products in this digital age. As we, you know, hear more and more about hacks and and companies always are one by one coming out and saying how their networks are being hacked. Palo Alto is one of the companies in that space that's trying to address network security, you know, really for the longer term here.
0: What about on the negative side? What is the the Twitterverse and the Facebook people? What do they think of on the negative
4: about a stock? About Palo Alto, really, we saw a lot more positives than negatives. It's really remarkable. Even though the stock was down, I think people in the community really take a longer view towards what this company is doing and the need for their services and their ability to really capture share. People didn't think that you know, there was some structural change happening where all of a sudden you know the internet would be safe and secure and that network security would be a lower focus from corporate IT spending perspective. And, you know, geez, they were sure proven right when the company reported their third quarter results, which just destroyed all of the lowered estimates and really showed the staying power of the company's business model. So did you guys own them all the way down and all the way back up or did you buy them right after the negativity hit? We had a small position going in, so people were positive going into that disastrous Q2 earnings report. But sure enough, the sentiment turned up higher and and we took a bigger position in the name following that earnings release and were able to capture the upside where the share share surged about 20% after that earnings release and and sort of make it all back and and then a little sum with the uh, extra weighting that we had in the index.
0: It's so interesting. Now, what about On the negative side, what's a stock that you guys have been really uh, negative about or you've seen people be negative about? I always forget it's not you,
4: Jamie. It's actually
0: the universe. What's the universe uh,
4: beaten up on? We just do the listening and the interpretation. That's our role here at Buzz. But here's a name that hasn't been in our index, but sure has been in the news for a long time ever since it IPO'd, and that's Snap. You know, came out with great fanfare. And just like you would expect, everyone touting massive growth numbers in the platform, from an investment perspective, gosh, the conversation really wasn't there. People, I think, were really focused on the competitive landscape around Snap. And you know, is their product something that is so unique? Can they build a moat around their business? Almost instantly now when Snapchat releases a new feature, it's copied on Facebook, it's copied on Instagram, it's maybe even copied on Twitter somehow, right? So people recognize that there's nothing very proprietary around this story. They do have a good user base, but if people are only going there for the types of, you know, engagements or interactions, they can actually get those across a wide variety of platforms. So people were less enthusiastic about the growth prospects of this company than some of the historical numbers might suggest, and. You know, we saw it play out ever since the company IPO'd back in March. The stock sort of had that initial jump. No one in the online broad community was really behind it. It drifted sideways. And then, you know, an earnings release later, boom, the stock falls 20% as it missed all its targets. Not really a big surprise to us.
0: I wonder if part of the negativity, too, isn't just, you know, what you discussed about the company, but also the way that stock's structured. I mean, the way they, they've they structured that company, Jamie, is that
4: it's almost impossible, like with Uber, to fire the owners. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I, I think, a byproduct of what you're seeing with all these unicorns staying private for so long. The ownership structure gets intense. They're, they're, they're really led by a single person. It's not a CEO acting on behalf of shareholders. Right. It's let's lose money as long as we can right. and grow some <laughs> other non-financial metric as big as we can. And, you know, I've achieved this. So therefore, I'm in the best position to to lead the company. Twitter struggled with it, certainly. Um, I think Snap is struggling with it right now. And the companies that have really transitioned beyond that point have really taken on more of a corporate shape. right. And you see what Google's done, even in their reorganization of the company and having Eric Schmidt at the helm and, and still having those founders there. And they're driving innovation at the company. But you really have that responsible financial adult at the table. And and of course, even at Facebook with the management team that Zuckerberg's put in place there, it's much less about him and much more about a corporate view and a corporate agenda.
0: Yeah, definitely an apple and an orange looking at those two. The ticker symbol is BUZ. You can get it wherever you buy finer, (laughs) finer exchange traded funds. Uh, And I should disclose to people that I own shares in the buzz index.
4: Jamie Wise, thanks for hanging out, man. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. And to the listeners out there, if you're wanting to follow the buzz in real time, we put out flash notices all the time when we have market moving stocks. You can go to buzzindexes.com slash DIY and sign up for more. Awesome. Yeah. And those come out. I should have mentioned that those come
0: out. I mean, whenever there's big hot buzz, you put it in people's inbox immediately.
4: Yeah, we'll put out one a week. We'll put out four a week, right? Obviously, we're a little busier during earnings season, right. but where we're seeing things trend across online forums, we're talking about it and we're letting the people know.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Thanks again. Thanks, Joe. So I think the lessons here, number one, you want to be more healthy? Join an HSA. Not sure that that <laughs> is the cause, that that really, really works.
2: But apparently it does, according to this art. <laughs> but,
0: but it's magic. And then and then, number two, social media Maybe we can use it uh, to help make better investing decisions. Pretty cool. Let's talk about a fantastic study that was recently completed, and they now have a book out about it called Financial Diaries, How American Families Cope in a World of
2: Uncertainty. Now, did you uh, get this book prior to the interview? I did. Did you think to say, send me two? I, I did not. Okay. I'm going to send you a sticky note that says, send OG1 also.
0: The authors of this, this isn't their first rodeo, listen to this. Jonathan Mordock is a professor of public policy and economics at the NYU Wagner Graduate School of Public Service. Rachel Schneider is the Senior Vice President of Insights and Analytics at the Center for Financial Services Innovation. These people got some chops. Let's say hello to them over on My Dead Shortwave, Jonathan Murdoch and Rachel Schneider in the Financial Diaries. And on My Dead Shortwave, Jonathan Murdoch and Rachel Schneider join us. Welcome, guys.
5: Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having us here.
0: Well, the book is The Financial Diaries, How American Families Cope in a World of Uncertainty. And I think I think we should define uncertainty. And, and Jonathan, I think I'll start with you, if you don't mind. What are we talking about here with financial uncertainty?
3: Yeah, you know, we've always thought about insecurity as the risk of big things happening, like losing your job or catastrophic health. But what Rachel and I saw as we spent time with families across the country was uncertainty that Happens more frequently, month-to-month ups and downs in paychecks, emergency spending needs that aren't catastrophic, but the car needs fixing, the roof needs fixing. Day-to-day, month-to-month uncertainties that are just creating lots of headaches for families trying to get ahead. More and more, Rachel,
0: it seems like it's also, Jonathan talked about the areas of spending, but also uncertainties with your paycheck.
5: It's really true. I mean, what we saw is incredible volatility in people's income over time, right? So we had this luxury of working with families to track their finances for a full year. And what you see when you do that is ups and downs. Even for people who have full-time work, their paycheck isn't necessarily steady.
0: Let's talk about just the Financial Diaries project in general, because this is a big project. I think it's not the first time this has been done. Jonathan, how did you guys get involved? Yeah,
3: this is the first time it's been done in the US. Okay. So, this kind of work was done overseas before, but Rachel and I came together and our institutions, I'm at New York University, Rachel's at the Center for Financial Services Innovation. We came together when some great funders, the Ford Foundation, the City Foundation, the Omidyar Network, said, "Hey, there's a lot that's happening in America that's changing. You know, jobs are changing, there's all these shifts, the recession, and it's really hard to get a sense of what's really happening in people's lives." can't really tell from like the big data sets that governments are collecting. And so we came together to just spend some time with families and hear their stories. And so it took us to Ohio and Kentucky and Mississippi, and we were in California and New York, just trying to listen to folks in different situations. How many different families did you follow? Yeah, in the end, 235 families. And okay. um, we tell their stories in the book. We spent time with them through a year. The whole idea was to track every single dollar that the families earned, spent, borrowed, saved for a full year.
0: Rachel, you opened the book with a story about Becky and Jeremy, and I think they're pretty representative of some of the change that Jonathan's talking about. Do you mind telling us a little bit of Becky and Jeremy's story?
5: I'd be happy to. And, you know, we end up telling their story a lot because it's, in a way, apocryphal for the larger issues that we wanted to be able to talk about through this research. So Becky and Jeremy are a couple who live in Ohio They have a few kids at home. Jeremy works fixing long haul trucks. And as a mechanic, um, he does have a steady job. He's exactly the point I was making before, right? He has full-time work, but he gets paid on commission. So even if he shows up 40 hours, his paycheck still varies depending on how many trucks he works on in a shift. And there was one day when Jonathan actually was out visiting Becky and Jeremy, and she was worried about paying her bills. And she explained it was because in the summer and the winter, when the weather is bad on trucks, her husband makes more money. And then in the fall and the spring, he makes less. And she sees the seasonality. She knows that's an issue. She knows that she should or could, in theory, save during the high months and then spend that savings during the low months. But she's also really self-aware that that's hard to do. And so she, in that moment, she was worried about paying her mortgage you know, she knew if she paid it and then she didn't have any cash on hand and his next paycheck was low, she'd be screwed. Eventually what they chose to do is Jeremy chose to switch to a different job where he has a longer commute. He actually makes less money overall, but he has stability. And it's this critical, this crazy window into the fact that really like people will make some hard choices to have less money in order to have more stability
0: yeah, Jonathan, I think you asked her that specific question, didn't you? If she'd rather be a little richer, have a steadier, more stable lifestyle, she like didn't even hesitate, yeah, exactly.
3: If you had the choice between moving a rung up the income ladder or having a a more stable financial life, she was definitely, she said, more stability. You know the amazing thing is that that was a question that the Pew Charitable Trust asked of a national sample. So we just sort of took it and asked our households. And in the national sample, I think ninety two percent, of American families said, I would rather have more stability than move up an income ladder. That was really blew our minds. Um, the people were really thinking that way. And it it made sense when once we started seeing the data and started to see that lots of folks had situations like Becky and Jeremy's. Their income was going up and down. And it could be because of working on a commission, you know, like Jeremy or working for tips or increasingly working hourly jobs where you just don't know your schedule and you're not getting a steady schedule from week to week. It just seems to me,
0: Rachel, that the shift in jobs, the trend isn't going toward more certain income, it's it's going to more and more people are going to have uncertain income.
5: <laughs> it's really true. I mean, you hear it, most people talk about the gig economy, you know, that everybody's going to be working as uh, sole proprietors in some way and cobbling together a bunch of different kinds of work. What we saw was really that, that volatility isn't only caused by the gig economy, it's caused by productivity improvements. What we saw is really this this increased volatility and income is stemming from a lot more than just that. So for in our data set, the biggest driver of volatility was really differences in earnings from within the same job. So what's happening fundamentally is that companies are able to shift the risk of ups and downs in demand for their services to their employees. They're able to share that risk directly with their employees, right? So Jeremy is a great example of that. When there's less demand for his service, his employer pays him less. And so that risk shift is a big part of what we saw and a big part of what we want people to take away from the research. Well, let's talk about risk. Also, we talk
0: about that with uh, income, but also with expenses, Jonathan, there's a big problem I saw back when I was a financial planner, and that's that people that could least afford to bet on their expenses, like I'm going to pay this one, not pay this one, those people are the people making the biggest bets of all. And I don't blame them because in the book, you explain that the whole idea is for them to keep their ability to be upwardly mobile. Am I getting that right?
3: Yeah. It's a complicated balance that folks are, are living between trying to move ahead and trying to deal with whatever's being thrown at them in the present moment. And so one of the families we got to know, uh, the Johnsons who live in uh, near Cincinnati, they are really they look very middle class and they are trying to move forward and they're trying to get moved to better jobs. But during the year we got to know them, they were hit by a series of health issues in addition to normal stuff like the car needing to get fixed. The whole story of their year was trying to move to better physicians while getting hit by unexpected bills. By the end of the year, they actually ended up having to go bankrupt when the hospital wouldn't negotiate one of their bills. Just at a moment when Mrs. Johnson, Sarah Johnson, had successfully managed to start this amazing children's group, and she had been elected to the school board, and she was definitely moving forward. And so this tension between stability and mobility just played out again and again in the stories of the families
0: well and you talk about some of the traditional advice rachel that uh companies give and traditional financial planners give you have a wonderful uh story about the johnsons and hooking them up with some of the advice that suzy orman gives and not to pick on Susie orman but just as a representative the the advice that people get could you tell us that story
5: Sure. I'm happy to. So we took financials and we ran it through one of Susie Orman's online calculators, to see how they were doing and see what kind of advice they would get from a typical personal finance advisor. And to be clear, as you said, not to kick Susie Orman, but just to like use this example, right? So, so we put this information through their calculator and what comes out is in a you know, huge glaring red letters, all caps, you're in the red zone, right? Danger. You're overspending. And fundamentally, you know, and then what spits out is the list of things you should do to stop overspending. The list is completely impossible for the Johnsons. It's cut out your second car. They each have jobs and they have a young child at home. The second car is necessary to making it work. And it's true. Their second car is really expensive because they bought a clunker that needed a lot of work. That's how it is when you're on the edge. You end up, you know, paying for an asset, a house or a car that then requires additional money over time. You know, one of the pieces of advice was pay less on cell phone bills. Well, they also had two grown, almost grown kids in their household. They were probably had a cell phone bill for five. And I don't think a cell phone bill is really a luxury anymore. It's it's a necessity to functioning in modern life. So what we took from that was that it's, you know, we, we want to think there are these small tweaks, some small fixes that somebody could make in their spending, and then they would sort of solve it and be better off. But the reality is that they had... A, you know n- none of those small things were going to really move the needle the things that were affecting their financial life were the big things the big investment in education big investment in healthcare big investment in being homeowners and the cost of all of those things those big investments has really risen over the last several decades and it's risen far faster than earnings or the, than wages have so you know you were asking like what's this trade off between stability and mobility to me, what, it seem, what seems to be the case is that mobility requires taking risks. You have to step out and try and get that promotion, try and get that better job, try and get the education that enables you to do that. And that risk is expensive. And that risk for the Johnsons was worth it to them, right? But they did have to declare bankruptcy along the way because they couldn't quite get stability as they made these you know, risky choices to try and get to mobility.
0: Well, let's stick with you for a second, Rachel. Then what's the solution if they can't find ways to cut costs and they ended up having to declare bankruptcy? Is there is there a solution for a family like the Johnsons? Because there's probably lots of Johnsons listening to this.
5: Yeah, you know, some of the solution comes right from what the Johnsons did. You know, in this conversation where she said that she declared bankruptcy, that was the last thing she told me in a whole, you know, hour plus of catching up about all these amazing, great things in her life. So some of it is, you know, she was the first to say, yeah, our financial life, not going so well, but my actual life, my 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 life, right? Great. What she was most proud about, most excited about was having graduated from college at 40, having just started a master's degree program, that her son was doing great, great in college, that her daughter was doing great in elementary school. You know, so some of the advice, which is sort of counter to like sitting on your podcast, talking about personal finance is to put all this in perspective. You know, you got to take risks in order to move ahead. Sometimes those risks will pan out. The sense I got from Sarah Johnson is she's going to dust herself off, pick herself up, you know, keep going with, you know, hope and confidence that she'd keep moving forward and upward in her life, even with this pretty big, but still in her view, you know, momentary setback.
0: Jonathan we talked about with Becky and Jeremy especially looking for a better job or with the Johnsons having two jobs is a solution multiple streams of income finding a like a side gig when you're not working
3: did you find anybody taking that approach lots of folks do that of course and you know with two motivations one is to earn a bit of extra money but also to fill in gaps and the Johnsons are an interesting example you know during the summer Sarah Johnson works at a school during the summer. She has more free time, and she um, works extra jobs. And she also works weekends. You know, it's a strategy, but it shouldn't be like that, right? We shouldn't have an economy where we say we're doing okay because folks can work two, three, four jobs and make ends meet. <laughs> right. And so that—that that was one of the things, you know, that <laughs> Rachel and I sort of came to. We saw households working really hard. The idea that folks are in financial trouble because they're not working hard just didn't make any sense from what we saw, and that's a, you know that's a big issue thinking about you know what kind of America we want. Jonathan, on that
0: note, on the expense side, are there ways you found that people were successfully navigating some of these surprise expenses and making sure that they didn't get caught?
3: You know, one of the big things we saw was that when you live in this world of surprise expenses and income instability, you've got to think really differently about saving. And so one of the big insights we took away was, you know, personal financial advice says, think about different savings buckets, like retirement savings and savings for college, but also emergency savings. But we saw this other bucket, which is different from those, which is saving up for things coming, you know, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. And that's a different savings bucket it's a bucket that you build up and you take down you're saving for short term needs and we saw that most saving actually look like that but financial advice isn't and financial products aren't really helping folks build up that kind of saving and so we saw people doing all kinds of things to make that work for example we saw you know a woman open a credit union account an hour away so that she could stash money for later, but she'd also have a barrier. Wow. Joke.
0: So she drove to a credit union an hour away. That's to make sure
3: that money stayed saved? Yeah. So this woman, Janice, in Mississippi, she opened a savings account at a credit union about an hour south of her. It had really lousy hours. And she said, that's that's fine with me, because she knew that if she uh, needed the money, she would drive the hour. Otherwise, it was locked up. And so it gave her that sort of structure Keeping the money safe, but it wasn't so locked up because in this world of instability and emergencies, you do need the flexibility. So everything, if everything's totally locked up, then it's no good either. And so households are trying to balance that in various ways. And Janice's way was one, another guy, Robert, he's 50 years old, but he still saves with his mother. Gives money to his mother to hold. He says, you know, she's like Fort Knox. (laughs) She's not going to give me that money. But he knew. He knew that if he really needed it, you know, she would. Everyone's trying to get that balance. And, you know, it's interesting because banks aren't really on that wavelength. And so families were kind of creating these workarounds that would work. And I think that's where a lot of the fintech we're
0: seeing out of Silicon Valley also is headed to right into that same same spot. I mean, we're looking at... uh this whole underserved markets that banks aren't catching. And it's amazing to see what's going to happen there in the next five years. The book is called the financial diaries, how American families cope in a world of uncertainty. Jonathan it's available anywhere, everywhere. Excellent. Jonathan, Rachel, thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you.
1: Hey trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I can't begin to express how psyched I am for national running day. While Joe and OG were blabbering on, I even bought some sleek new shoes. Check out these babies. Oh yeah, Uh, this, this is radio here. Maybe you can hear them. Don't they sound fast? They're red and they're blue, which pretty much means they're built of pure speed. Trust me, these are gonna help old Doug log some serious mileage. In fact, I would've already ran, but I realized I don't have a water bottle. I can't run without one of those. It's all about hydration, kids. All about hydration. Even though I haven't run yet, lucky for you, I still haven't run out of trivia. Oh my God, they just keep coming to me. It's just so easy when you have my talent. So here's the question. Which marathon has more participants than any other in the world? I'll be back in a flash with a water bottle and your trivia answer.
0: stackers we get used to those same daily routines don't we wake up at the same time every morning brush our teeth park the car in the same spot at work every day recite jokes in the mirror to be funnier than that jerk of the water cooler or is that what just me here's one thing you shouldn't make routine using the same credit card from the same bank just because that's what you've always done nick Clements from magnify money explains why
2: i mean it's never been a better time honestly to find a credit card especially given the lucrative sign-on bonuses that are out there Chase just recently had a hundred thousand on their reserve card. I think we're at a point right now where credit cards are extremely profitable for large banks and they are really wanting to get more customers. And so they're, they're rolling out the red carpet. So I would just say if you have had a credit card for more than two or three years, chances are there's a much better deal out there for you today. So
0: why stick with that same old card with those rewards that haven't changed in years, you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class, including better interest rates. And don't only use Magnified Money for credit cards. Nick and the team have built the site from the ground up to help with personal loans, student loans, and mortgages. Average person saves $450 in interest when they hit stackyourbeduments.com forward slash Money.
1: Welcome back, Trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And good news, I got a water bottle. But as I grabbed... uh, Borrowed? Okay, I just took Joe's. I realized I don't have a running watch. How you know how much mileage you're logging if you don't have one of those fancy GPS running watches? Okay, I'm gonna go see if Joe's mom will drive me to the store and you know, hopefully buy me a watch. So let's get to your trivia answer. In case you need me to jog your memory, (laughs) here was the question. What marathon has more participants than any other in the world? The answer, the New York City Marathon. Last year's race saw 51,394 people finish. Like 2 million started, but still 51,000 people finishing. That's pretty good. Talk about inspiring. Time for me to go buy a watch so Doug can show them all how it's done. Be back soon. See ya.
2: Nailed it. Bam. And I don't even run marathons.
0: Big thanks, too, to Jonathan Mordock and Rachel Schneider for talking to us on the shortwave. You know, I like this idea presented in Who Moved My Cheese? Remember that book? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the world the way it is, not the way that you wish it were. And things are things are not staying the same. The world's The world is becoming more uncertain. And if you think it's not, no matter how much you wish for the opposite... You just got to make some tough moves sometimes.
2: Tony Robbins has a great quote. You can see things the way that they are, but not better than they are, not worse than they are. It just is what it is, right? So sometimes you've got to make the tough choice. Sometimes you have to go down the path of something that you may not enjoy for a short period of time, but...
0: It's funny how much these uh, gurus have things that sound the same. I, I swear they take somebody else's and they just move it over a little bit, you know, m- give it their own pretty spin. Because I love Jack Welch's, which is something to the tune of accept reality the way it is, not the way you wish it were or hoped it was or something mm. like that. Same same
2: exact thing. And they all stole that from you. How I mean, t- doesn't that make you upset?
0: How t- I know. How, how tough is it? Because mine was accept reality the way that it is. Is not the way that you hoped or wished or dreamed that it could have been.
2: Oh, you had the dream in there. That yeah, was mine. Right. They yeah. just, they just, I the, stuff.
0: yeah, right. they take out the dream and they call it their own. But whatever, um, just trademark. Remove the dream from everything. We should do that after we say every phrase. TM.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <'Cause> copyright.
0: <laughs> that was a great segment. TM. <laughs> the, the, that was when I was a financial planner. One of my hardest jobs, though was to help my clients get the message and realize we got to move. We have to, have to move. And by the way, you know, most of the time, the correct answer is not to move. But baby, when it was time to move, sometimes delivering that message was so
2: difficult. I always tell clients that there's two types of decisions that you have to make in your financial life, right? Revocable decisions and irrevocable decisions. The revocable ones are ones that you can make. And then turn around and change if you want later on down the line. Those we want to just make the decision to move on and adjust as the situation develops. Irrevocable decisions are the ones that once you make them, you can't ever change them. So those are the ones we really want to take a lot of time and study and make sure that we that we dot all the I's and cross all the T's and spend a lot of time researching to make sure that we're making a really good decision. But those are so few and far between that you don't have a lot of those in your financial life. Most of them are, you know, let's just start walking in this direction. I don't know if this is the way out of the woods or not, but by gosh, we're, we know standing here is not.
5: Yeah.
0: There's a you few know? critical times when you gotta go. So it's important to, uh, to get a get move on. The <laughs> get a move on, little doggy. Hey, let's get a move on with the show. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency They're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things you value most, your family and your time. That's why they've created the only affordable term life policy you can purchase entirely online without a medical exam. Another company recently, another uh, online outfit said there's no such thing. Yes, there is. Haven Life is doing it. (laughs) Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to learn about life insurance the modern way. Good to see uh, our friend, Jerome Benzi, the CEO of Haven Life on uh, Reuters TV last week, OG, talking Ooh. innovation in the life insurance space. So Haven Life, again, getting some more well-deserved accolades. Uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. We're going to mix it up today a little bit. We're going to throw out the Haven Life line to our friend Brenda, who posted this in our Green Room Facebook group. Looking to have some fun with your money, by the way. Green Room Facebook group. We have a great time over there. Brenda asked this to the little band of merry men and women in the, in the Green Room. I'm leaving a job with a 401k to a job that has a 403b. Is that transferable? And if not, what should I do with my 401k? Concise question from Brenda. Let's throw out the lifeline to her.
2: Great question. The answer to this, of course, is yes, you can transfer your money from your 401k to your 403b. Two ways to do that. One is to do a direct transfer, which is when the companies just talk to one another. You want that to happen because then you don't ever get the money. If you do a rollover, which sometimes people say rollover, but they really mean direct transfer, Then really a rollover, you get the money and then you have to put the money back in. And unfortunately, they're also going to withhold taxes and you can only do that one time a year. So you don't want to do a rollover. You want to do a trustee to trustee transfer. The third option that you have would be to transfer the money from your 401k to an IRA. And again, you want to do this as a trustee to trustee transfer, a direct transfer And the reason you'd want to do that might be a little bit lower fees. Perhaps you could have better investment choices within an IRA as opposed to the current 401k or 403b plan. Some reasons not to do that. There's a little bit less creditor protection in an IRA than there is in a 401k Uh, from bankruptcy proceedings and things like that. Every state's a little different there. And the biggest one, depending on how old you are, a 401k, you can get the money at 55 if you retire whereas an ira you can't get the money until 59 and a half yeah without really, a penalty you, so you really so gotta if
0: start with when you i mean start with when you need the money
2: right exactly so this is what we talk about having a having a plan right working on the financial plan and working backwards to the tool to use this is exactly the same thing when do we need the money and then from there we're going to be informed what kind of tools to use as well as what kind of investments to use within those tools so uh really Three different options. A, keep it in the 401k, B, move it to the 403b, or C, transfer it to an IRA. Any one of those can work if it's the right choice.
0: Or as John in the green room says, do what his cousin did and use it to buy himself a new car. Ooh, and then
2: that's actually probably the most fun plan.
0: Yeah, except you, you lose about a third of the car to, to taxes and penalties.
2: Still probably a cool car. <laughs> yeah.
0: Who cares? Thanks for the question, Brenda. If you've got a question for the Haven Lifeline, guess what? You can get the fast pass to have You your, are up next. Yeah, have your question answered. Stacking forward slash voicemail or go to the Stacky Benjamins website, stackybenjamins.com. And on the top you'll see have a question for the show. Click that and uh, you'll see the Haven Lifeline right there. We also get letters to the show. Doug has brought down the mail. This letter comes to us from our new friend, Chris. Chris says, hey, Joe and OG, thanks for taking my question. I love the show. I've been a daily listener since I discovered you guys about three months ago. It's always wild to me that people are discovering us. It's, it's fantastic to know there's new people on board. Welcome. Welcome to the basement. Welcome to the family.
2: Should have mom bring That down- smell is Doug.
0: We should have mom bring down some cookies and some Febreze for our new listeners. <laughs> My question pertains to savings allocation. I'm a 26-year-old analyst making about $55,000 before tax. I contribute 10% of that into a Roth 401k through my employer on which I receive a 50% match. As far as debt goes, I've got about $700 left in student loans, which I plan to have paid off by the end of next month. No other debt. Six-month emergency fund built up, sitting in a low-interest checking account. And Right now, I'm, quote, riding that gravy train, as Joe would say, and living at home. High five to Chris.
2: Love it. Yeah. Yes.
0: Uh, so that he could pay cash for the MBA program he currently attends and has one year left. Long story short, if my student debts paid off, I'll have approximately $700 a month to allocate towards some type of savings or investing. My question is, where should I put it? I'm considering a betterment type investment account, but given my short medium term goal, five years or so to purchase a house, I'm not sure I could handle a whole lot of volatility. Any advice you guys have would be awesome. Thanks again. And keep up the awesome work. I want to jump in here first. And uh, nothing against Betterment, Chris, but the reason that we have M1 Finance as our as our sponsor, and I'm not saying this just because they're our sponsor, because I have my money there before they sponsored us. M1 Finance gives you all the Betterment choices, and you can decide to do your own thing instead. So I don't understand, and this is just me, I just don't understand why somebody would go with a Betterment-type thing versus an M1 Finance. I like I like the ability to do whatever the hell I want when I choose, or be able to put it on autopilot make it really easy, like I can do at M1. And I can also have both of those, right? I can have two different pie charts in the same account. So not because they're our sponsor, but if you're going to go that route, I go M1 before Betterment any day.
2: It's like adaptive cruise control.
0: Right, right. exactly,
2: yes. And still- yeah, I I in- just use that for the TM. <laughs> <laughs> TM.
0: Fist bump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what should you
2: do with the 700 bucks? Oh, this is super simple. This is all 100% cash. We're going to need the money in a couple of years to buy a house, pay for an MBA program out of pocket. Cash, cash, and more cash. And gosh, it's going to suck. God, it's, you're going to watch this and you're going to go, I should, especially especially if the stock market keeps on going up, you know, up whatever, 30% in the last year or so. Boy, you're going to just look at that and shake your head the whole time. Do not get suckered into it because the law of the market will say it will figure out a way to disappoint you (laughs) because you're going to look at this and go, ah, screw it. I got three years. That's a long enough time. And then we'll get a recession. This just has to be cash. If you're feeling frisky, which I don't know why you would be a CD, you know. If you're feeling, if you feel but, extra frisky, a Ginny May, a five-year Ginny May, it, extra frisky, and that still can lose money. Yeah, a Ginny May can lose money, but I would go, uh, but, but not, but not as much.
0: No, because he's dollar-cost averaging in. That's why I like the Ginny May. That's what I was going to say. If you're going to use cash, go to a place like Magnify Money, please, because um, yeah. you know if I get one point three versus having it in that checking account that he's got it there. Okay, it's not a lot of money, but that's a little less house I had to pay for myself. Yeah. Um, so I'd do something like that, but man, I would totally, I would do a Ginny May, Chris. That's what I would do. Okay. I would totally $700 a month.
2: If it's five years, I can, I can get behind that if it's a five-year number. And more specifically, if, if you're okay in year four going crap, the market dumped on me. So I got to wait another two years instead of one year to make this happen. And you're okay with that. Then totally that'd be fine. If it's a drop dead goal of, no matter what I need the money in five years exactly from today, well then then you gotta be a little bit more cautious. But if it's kind of nebulous, like, you know, if I get it there when I'm at four years or it takes me five and a half or whatever, so be it, then I'm okay with that. Yeah. We should explain. And that's that, extra frisky.
0: We, yeah, Right. We should explain internal like from
2: KFC. Explain
0: to listeners what a Ginny May fund is and what Ginny Mays are. Ginny Mays are bonds. It's the Government National Mortgage Association. It's not a government agency. It's a government-sponsored agency. So it's one step removed from the government. The thing that you're doing is you're helping build low-income housing, maintain low-income housing for people. And so you're putting money into that system and May then pays you a decent uh, dividend back and those are sold on the open market. When you buy a fund, you're buying them on the open market. So you're getting a little volatility. Not a ton of volatility, though. Yeah, there's
2: really not a ton, right? Which is what
0: I like. So you're doing work that I like doing, number one. And that's just me. Some people don't care. But I like the work that that thing does. I like the very low volatility. I like the fact that because... Chris's dollar cost averaging, if it does spike down a little bit, he can, you know, that month he'll put his $700 in. And when it does get volatile, it has historically, you know, come back fairly quickly. Uh, We saw, by the way, during the big housing crisis, it went down like everything else did. I mean, it took a bath. So if that happened again, OG there might be some problems there, but, um, but not big ones. I mean, not, not the world's
2: worst problem. Kind of some short-term hiccups. If you, I'm, I'm just looking at the Vanguard one. I just pulled it up, uh, real quick, but, um, yeah. Five-year return is what? 1.96.
0: Yeah. And that's looking at the last five years, which was, uh, I don't
2: think representative, but yeah. One year is 1%, three years, 2.4, five years, 1.9. Historically, it's generally been a little bit higher. Decent dividend, 2.6%, right? So yeah, there's going to be some fluctuation, not a ton. And because you're dollar cost averaging, like you said, uh, that'll take some of the sting out of it if it does.
0: Thanks for the question, Chris. If you would like us to answer your question, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to you. com forward slash voicemail. You can also write us a letter, and that's Joe at com, or fill out the form on the page go to stackebedgemans.com you'll see questions for the show click on that and below the haven lifeline you can just send us a note and we're catching up uh, fairly quickly we are now looking at um, April 17th so maybe maybe we're maybe we're not catching up super quick we finally made it to tax day lastly if you've got a big question and uh, it's the type of question where you think you need great financial help in your corner. OG's taking clients, so if you're interested in asking OG what it would take to have him in your corner working with you on your financial plan, com forward slash letter O and then letter G, and that's how you get a hold of him. Man, we did it. Great show today. Thanks again, and Doug's waiting in the wings to say all this stuff, so I won't go on too long, but a fantastic discussion with the financial diaries. These people- wrote down their expenses and some harrowing stuff we heard the income side is tough. The expense side is tough and it's not going to get better. It's going to continue to be a volatile place to live. So as our friend Miranda Marquette says over on the money tree podcast, nobody respects your money like you do. So invest in your life, right? Take the time to invest in yourself. That's going to do it. OG. Let's put a all fork right, buddy. in it. Yep. Doug, it's all yours now. Take it away.
1: Welcome to the victory lap of this podcast. So what did we learn today? First, it's getting harder to save money all the time. By focusing on ways to smooth out your income streams and protect yourself from spikes in your spending, you'll have an easier time avoiding some of the problems we heard about from Jonathan and Rachel. Second, thinking about an HSA, not only is that flexible money you can use for retirement, but it also just might help you make some healthier choices. But the big lesson... Don't try to run unless you got the right socks. Once I have those, I'm sure I'm going to be able to show you just how fast old Doug can run. Of course, I'm going to need some better shorts and maybe one of those tech shirts because, man, do I work up a sweat and I should probably have some Gatorade to restore my sugar levels and I might need a couple of books on running form. God, I'm, I'm so far away from actually running, Joe. I've got a lot of work to do. Special thanks to Jonathan Morduck and Rachel Schneider for sharing stories from their book, Financial Diaries. You'll find Financial Diaries wherever books are sold. We'll have a link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter reese and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to StackingBenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at, at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Joe's mom for celebrating today's holiday. Nah, she's not running. Apparently, it's National Chocolate Ice Cream Day, too. This holiday is way easier to celebrate. Hope I don't get any on my new sweet running shoes. See ya!
3: So I made a note when you were talking about magnifying money, you're talking about how the car loan
2: industry is so much more than the actual sales of the car, Yeah, right? They make way more money. The finance person's the most profitable person in the dealership. What do you think makes more money? That's a loaded question. You're going to figure it out for the airline industry. The fact that they sell seats on an airplane or that they sell points to credit cards to give to you when you use their credit cards. You're kidding me. Really? 50 50. Yep. Yeah. They make, it's kind of starting the crossover this kind of this year where American airlines, Delta, whatever, they make more money by selling the points to let's say American express. So that American express, you've got the American express Delta credit card, right? And when you go use your Delta credit card, you get Delta sky miles, well, you don't get those from Delta. You get them from American Express. American Express bought them from Delta to give to you. Delta makes more money selling the points to American Express than flying you around the world. <laughs> that's that's so amazing. Isn't that crazy? Th- that is amazing. Which is a little disturbing, right? Because where are they going to invest their money? Because they invest their money in better planes, better yeah. pilot training, better... Food choices, in, better entertainment. No, and selling more. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna beef up their relationship with Amex or Citibank or whatever you know. These I,
0: yeah. I have a problem speaking with airlines. I have a problem with airlines now again going to. Uh, you see, they're they're getting rid of legroom.
2: Again, you mean still?
0: W- well, no. I mean,
2: yeah. Another it keeps on getting smaller and smaller. It, yeah,
0: it does. And I can't fly Spirit anymore. I mean, I can't. I can't fly Spirit. I can't fly Frontier. Because I'm six one and I just can't do it. Six one
2: around <laughs>
0: Well, you're not talking about high, are you? I'm four seven. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, you're looking pretty svelte lately. I know you've been working on thank eating you right and exercising and
0: as of today, I am down 20 22 pounds.
2: Good God, eat mm-hmm. a burger for crying out loud.
0: You know, it's funny, I've been following some Eastern philosophy. And, uh, one of the, one of the tenants is eat until you're hungry. And that actually has more to do, excuse me. Say,
2: say it again. Yeah. That's usually how I eat. Yeah. So eat until you're hungry. <laughs> I eat, that's, that's what I do. I'm not, I am not eat until I'm hungry.
0: I'm not really hungry. So I'm going to start eating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, eat until you're full. And I really had had that mindset and, and really they weren't even talking about food. Right. Now, I mean, I was listening to Wayne Dyer talk about uh Dang. talk about eastern philosophy really good by the way really if you haven't listened to wayne dyer just great perspective on life and wayne uh was talking about you know evaluating she when you're that out of
2: tape or something y- yeah Does uh... he even have cds now uh audible, I mean, he's, audible. He died, right but yeah
0: no this is audible yeah no, <laughs> no he was over at our house we... yeah
2: no i no, i'm just saying i've got wayne dyer's cassette tapes
0: yeah, right. No, no, they go way back, but I I just so used Audible. Yeah, so Wayne, uh, though, was talking about, I feel, you can't really call him, is Mr. Dyer? I, Doctor. Yeah, Dr. Dyer. Uh, but, but he's talking about this concept of being full and about we don't evaluate. And I have to tell you, the number one thing I started doing was thinking more often, am I full? Is that enough? So instead of thinking, does this taste good? which is what I used to do. Oh, I want to <laughs> cram more of that in my pie hole. <laughs> Instead, I thought, am I done? And I get to about half a plate of food, like the old plate size I used. I get to about half a plate and I'm like, ah, I'm not really hungry anymore. And then I pack it up and I think about how awesome it tastes. And I think about how great it will be to have the rest of this at lunch tomorrow. And that was the number one thing. Well, that,
2: is, that is a really big thing. And I don't know that this is just American because people, you know, you kind of see that perspective from other countries sometimes about how we like have these huge dinner plates and you know, we try to, we try to do that. Like I'll consciously like pick the small plate to put the meal on yeah, because you just, you know, you feel obligated to eat. I mean, I was raised, you were probably raised the same way. We don't waste food. You know, if it's on your plate, you eat it, eat it all because that's wasteful to do it any other way. When you stop looking at food as something that you enjoy and start thinking about it as, a necessary energy source to power me through the rest of my day. That really takes the, to your point, it takes the enjoyment, not that you're not happy doing it, but, but you're not doing it to be happy. Right. Right. You know, you're, you're fueling the body. You got to fuel it up so you can get out and with the rest of the day and I need this much energy and off I go.
0: That's the other thing too, is just being conscious about what goes in your mouth. Yeah. Right. Right. Because of the fact that now I
2: put an entire box of Famous Amos cookies in my face every day,
0: I understand that weighing yourself every day is not like the only metric you should use, but it's a very easy, quick metric for me to use. So I step on the scale every day, and once I started doing that, I saw the pounds also come off.
2: Starts um, informing your decision making. Like, oh, I guess I should only have eleven beers today sure, on the golf right. course, not fifteen.
0: D- d- speaking of cookies, a Famous Amos. I, I'm going to those give things in
2: milk are like totally no, my favorite cookie. I,
0: I got to tell you, I found a better one. So we were in, not a,
2: not a better box cookie.
0: We were, yes, we were in Savannah, Georgia, and I found this cookie. I'm going to pull it up.
2: If I can't buy it at the local grocery store, it doesn't count.
0: Oh, never mind. Yeah.
2: No, well, I mean, yeah, there's some hole in the wall place and God knows where that makes really good cookies. I know that. This place is amazing. It's called Birds, uh, Birds Cookies.
0: Byrds, and, and it'd be weird if it was spelled the other way. They were giving, <laughs> they were giving us, and here it is. I've been furiously pulling up the, uh, pulling up the website. Birds, birds, famous cookies. So we walk into this place, I'm with my parents. So mom's with us. Cheryl's there. We walk into this cookie store, and I'm not a big cookie guy. I'm just oh really? Yeah. Oh. No, I'm just not.
2: Downfall. Yeah, I downfall.
0: Ice cream. I can do ice cream all day. Which is bad because I'm also Bluebell. a little. I'm also but you little,
2: can eat Bluebell because it's like good stuff. It's not ah, it's like phenomenal. a ton of stuff in there. You know what I mean? It's milk, sugar, cream.
0: So delicious. But we walk into this place and they're giving free. They have like a bar set up and a couple people behind it in these cookie jars. And uh, the woman says, would you like a sample? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I said, well, which one can we have? She goes, you, you can sample any of them that you want. You can have, you can have as many of these as you want. And I said, okay, I'll try the uh, salted caramel. And they give you just a little round, you know, wafer-sized thing, like a vanilla wafer-sized thing. I put that thing in my mouth, and holy (laughs) (laughs) it was like the heavens opened up, the angels started singing to me, and I'm like, how do I get more of this? Like, I I need as much of this in me as I can possibly get. Like, the the whole Eastern philosophy thing now is gone right? It is completely gone. I don't care. I don't care what that is. This is like, you would have me, if birds cookies were down the street from me, you would find me gone living under an overpass, all strung out on cookies. Like they, like they come next to me and the, the people around me are, you know, they have drug issues and whatever. And I've got like these cookie crumbs all over my mouth. Like what happened to him? Yeah. Birds cookies. Ah, oh, it's so good. So unbelievably good. I had a friend when we first moved to Texas. You know, at that time, you couldn't get Blue Bell in Michigan. I don't even know if you still if, if you can now. Oh, no,
2: no. It's just in the South.
0: Yeah, so I didn't, you know, I hadn't had Blue Bell. And uh, a friend of ours said, after I told him about my addiction to Blue Bell ice cream, about how phenomenal it was, he said, well, you know why it's better, don't you? And I thought he was going to give me, like, the secret of the universe. He's like, oh, they have, like... Leprechauns pee on it. Like I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what he was going to say, but I thought it was going to be something great. And I said, "No, what is it? Because it's phenomenal." He goes, "They put more sugar in it." I mean, he gives me like the most obvious thing ever.
2: Here, I've got this picture, this meme to show you. This is you at Birds Cookies.
0: <laughs> Homer Simpson hooked up to a machine, and it looks like they're shoving donuts in his mouth.
2: Yeah, it's uh, the artist th- rendering of hell where, you know, you have whatever whatever it is you like on earth, they make you do to excess in hell.
0: Two at a time, two. Not, not and, one and, at a time.
2: And, and the funny part of this episode, of course, is that the devil is getting real ticked off because Homer's like, more, more. <laughs> Keep him coming. <laughs> Keep him coming. He,
0: he doesn't stop.
2: He doesn't stop. He's okay with it. All right. So this is you.
0: Longest after show ever. It totally is me. Uh, and by the way, Birds, if you want to sponsor this podcast we'd be more than happy i can get behind that brand all day long man
3: especially if they want to send samples
2: Mm.
0: well stackers the show might be over but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that i want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law eric who is such a giving person eric will do just anything for you and as a marine